LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Paul Levy, who joins us to discuss the 2020 coronavirus crisis and the deeper psychological and spiritual origins of the virus. For almost 20 years, Levy has been writing about an insidious, invisible virus spreading and replicating itself throughout the human species. This deadly disease is a virus of the mind that cultivates and feeds on fear and separation. It is a true game changer for us to recognize that the coronavirus is literally a materialization in our world of the previously invisible virus that exists deep within the collective unconscious of humanity. What is playing out in COVID-19 can help us begin to see the deeper underlying pandemic, a collective psychological infection that has been wreaking havoc on our species behind the scenes and beneath our awareness from time immemorial. One of the real dangers of the current pandemic is for us to feel helpless, overwhelmed with despair, impending doom and pessimism, a state which cuts us off from our agency and creative power. Strangely enough, the hardest of the hard sciences, quantum physics, comes to our aid as medicine to protect us from this psychological danger. A little insight into the essence of what quantum physics reveals to us can be the best antidepressant imaginable. By revealing that we live in a thoroughly quantum universe, quantum physics is literally placing the keys to our future in our own hands. The question is, do we know how to wisely use the gift that is being freely offered to us. Hello and welcome, Paul, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. I am so happy to be here, really. Just thank you so much. I say once again, Paul, it's been seven years, believe it or not, 2013, uh, since it was the first time that we spoke together, and it really doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was. Today, we're, of course, recording this in the midst of the so-called coronavirus crisis of 2020. We're going to be talking about the deeper psychological dimensions of that because it's really where all of this is ultimately coming from within ourselves. But before we get into our discussion, for listeners who don't know, just let people know a little bit about who you are and your work in general. Sure. Um, well, so my background is a little bit unique in that I'm, I'm 63 now. When I was 24, um, I had this life-transforming spiritual spiritual awakening that got me in deep trouble. Uh, I was just so enthusiastic of what I was realizing. Uh, what I was realizing was that we're having a, a collective dream, and I was so enthusiastic or excited that it got it got me hospitalized. During that next um, a little bit under two years, probably I don't know four or five times, I was thrown in mental hospitals and diagnosed as being chemically imbalanced or bipolar or whatever they were calling it back then. 
And, um, and I knew I was having a spiritual awakening. It couldn't have been more obvious, um, from inside of my own mind. And, um, so I was fortunate to be able to very, well, you know, not super quickly, but over not that long of a amount of time to extricate myself from the whole psychiatric, um, community, which was guaranteeing that I had this mental illness, that I would have it for the rest of my life. They had me medicated and they were like promising that as soon as I went off of the medication, I would have a psychotic break. I mean, it was so over the top abusive and insane. Um, so I, I got myself out of that and then just continued unfolding my awakening. But, but, you know, that was deeply traumatic in addition to the trauma that precipitated this spiritual awakening. And, you know, without going into the story, just my father was a real, um, you know, he just acted out his unhealed abuse like we all do, but he just did it in such an intense way. And, being the only child and being really sensitive, it created enormous suffering, which was the very thing that catalyzed me to go inwards and um, that precipitated in the spiritual awakening. So basically, um, you know, I was able to get through that whole experience. And then after about uh, 12 years of going to therapy and making art and dreaming and studying young and doing Buddhist practice and just anything and everything I could do to help to alleviate my suffering. Then um, in the mid-90s, I began teaching because I realized, oh, well, I'm still kind of a work in progress, and I always will be. Um, but at least I had come through this initiatory ordeal, which I was then recognizing was a shamanic initiation, and that the, you know, the hospitalizations and the trauma and the abuse, that was in a way the descent into the underworld and and I made it through with my awareness intact and with my heart open, but it destroyed my family. I haven't had a family for 20 years. They bought into the diagnosis that I'm mentally ill, and they just think I'm in denial of my illness, and my parents both died thinking that, you know, their only child was, was you know, mentally ill. And it, was, it had a very tragic aspect to it, but I've had to deal with that. And, um, and you know, but, I, but I've been fortunate to create a body of work out of that experience, which if I wasn't able to connect with my creativity, then I would have been in deep trouble. So basically what happened for me um, was like, in a sense, this this raw material out of which my whole creative work has come through. And that's the very thing that's healing me. So that that that's just the short form of a, of a little bit of my background. It's kind of different than most people's. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to be talking about some of the deep, deeper uh, psychological dimensions of this current crisis that we're all undergoing. And in some important ways, the physical virus itself is almost the least significant part of all this. And uh, what people are dealing with in their minds, what they're going through, whether they've been affected by the illness or not, and most of us have not, fortunately... What is being revealed by this crisis is the fragility of the systems on which uh, most of us depend, certainly in industrialized countries, uh, energy systems, the economy, um, the ecosystem, you know, the environment around us, and also our social systems, our political systems. All of those have been shown to a greater or lesser extent to be wanting. And a lot of us have been in denial about the sort of converging crises facing the world uh, in the early years of the 21st century. But what's happening now, whatever you think about the, as I say, the physical virus itself, we, a mirror has been held up to the species 
and it's for all the politicians and World Health Organization, all these other experts rushing around at the minute with their band-aids and their fixes and their plans for putting all this right and preventing anything like this in the future. If we don't address the deeper origins of the, the, the crises in energy economy environment I mentioned, uh, that ultimately have have fed into this and are feeding, you know, this is sort of a, a self-perpetuating feedback loop, this. If we don't address those deeper issues, then we're not going to not even maybe survive the current crisis in one piece. But going forward, um, you know, we don't really have a future unless we sooner or later address these issues. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, you know, like I, I've been pointing out um, in, in in my work, the coronavirus, it has these, these, um, there's like the, the vectors of transmission, you could say, and there's not just the physical vector. That's what people are really focusing on, but there's a psychological vector of how it transmits itself into our mind. And, um, and that's what you were, you were kind of pointing at. And also it has like, because it affects our psyche, then it affects our behavior. So it has these multiple vectors of transmission. And that's really important because, you know, just think about how the virus emerges into our world. And then the next thing you know, it emerges into our mind in the sense of fear or anxiety or stress. And that's the non-local body. That's the subtle body. Um, that's the energetic or the operational sort of, you could call it the, the energetic body of the virus. And so the virus is, I mean, think about how it's unbelievably, unbelievably changed our world in so many ways. And so I think it's really important to have an expanded viewpoint to not just view the virus physically, but to see more, you know, it's, it's full, non-local, um, energetic, subtle body and how it's affecting us in so many ways. And then you begin to realize, wow, there is actually with all the nightmare and the suffering, which is intense, what's happening to so many people, um, there's also encoded in the pathogen, in the virus, which has, you know, it's not just physical, it's actually this revelation. It's showing us something about ourselves and about our world. Because like you were saying, Greg, the, the underlying structures in our world that um, seemingly are keeping it together and are seemingly, you know, sustainable and stable are being revealed as anything but. And um, so the point is, is that there is something really, really deep that's being touched inside of each one of us through what's happening in the world via our reactions to the virus. And, um, you know, and just to, even one thing I just want to clarify. So here's the physical virus. It, it impacts on our mind. We get triggered. And then however we get triggered and act out unconsciously through that trigger, that informs our behavior. So you see what I mean? That the virus is having all of these different ways that it's impacting not only on us, but on our world. And then the world reflects that back. And then, like you were saying, an infinitely self-perpetuating feedback loop, we then react to the way the world is reflecting. And in essence, there's a collect, there's this madness, there's a collective madness, and that's the real virus. And that's what I've been talking about in my work, that the physical virus in our world, the coronavirus, is just a lower level emanation or a reflection in physical form of the actual higher dimensional virus, which is a virus of the mind. And, you know, and that's the collective madness. Cause think about it, even before the coronavirus came on the scene, our world was 
you know, was driving off a cliff. We were committing collective suicide. It's not like, oh, yeah, I hope we return to those good old days when everything was fine. No, our madness had just appeared to be this this normal situation, but we were collectively mad before the virus. So what I'm pointing at is that the virus could be like this this um, sort of, you know, um, light that's illuminating the deeper virus, which is a virus of the mind. Yes, because I personally don't know anyone who's been directly affected by the virus itself. I don't know anyone who knows anyone who's been directly affected, but partly that's a function of, I mean, we're all communicating a great deal at the minute across the world by um, electronic means, but people are not certainly out and about talking to strangers as much as they would normally be, perhaps. You know, they're not mingling and going to other cities and seeing what the scene is like there. But whether one knows someone who has been directly affected by this or not, it's still easy to see that the the, the biggest number of people that are being affected do not have the virus. It's, it, they're being affected by the real pandemic, which is one of fear, and their reaction to what they think about the virus, as you said. Then you alluded it to being a mind virus, which, of course, really begins to cut to the heart of it, because in your work, you've explored this very um, metaphor for the dark side of the human psyche long before anyone ever put it in the context of an actual disease, of an actual virus, and certainly long before uh, you know the, the current crisis that's happening now was a, was upon us. So this is something that if they stamp on, as I alluded to a few moments ago, if they stamp on the physical virus and get that under control, that ultimately is not, that's not the end game, you know, that's not over. Yeah. Oh, that's totally true. I mean, you know, um, that in a way is my biggest fear is that, oh, just things returning um, to back to normal because like I was saying before the, the coronavirus came on the scene, you know, I mean, things were just over the top, you know, horrible. And, um, yeah. So what I'm, what I'm pointing out in my work is that there's an incredible opportunity. You know, I mean, if you think about it, the, you know, the thing with the virus, it doesn't just transmit itself in, in like these drops of water. The virus is in the air. It's in the atmosphere. It's in our mind. And there's something that so yeah we can you know get hooked by the fear and then identify with fear in which case then we become we've caught the virus and then are a carrier and will infect other people and then we're part of the problem um but if we somehow cannot get hooked by the fear and yet um if we if we don't get hooked by the fear there's something that's so available there's something you know in the air in the field that we can plug into we're all feeling it. It's such an incredibly intense time. It's so dreamlike. And that if we can plug into that, it can actually help us to actually more deeply connect with who we actually are, with our true nature. It can help us more deeply connect with our, our creative nature. Because being creative, um, like I point out in my work again and again, is the real medicine, you know, not only for the physical virus, but for the deeper, for that, for that mind virus that's afflicting our species. Well, it, it is dreamlike, as, as you said a moment ago, and a lot of people are talking about it in, in those terms because they, the, the world of apparent safety and certainty that, that, that surrounded them up to this point, of course, it wasn't really like that at roots, but that's how it felt or that's what, what people wanted to believe. 
um, that feels like if it hasn't been completely stripped away, then certainly people have glanced into the abyss, haven't they? You know, the, the, the possibility that it might all go away has been opened up for many people, whether that's livelihood or life, you know, and, and everything around and between that. And, uh, people have talked about, you know, walking the streets now when they can get out, talking, as you say, like being dreamlike, they've woken up in some sort of dystopian sci-fi horror. And other people, actually, I've spoken to, have couched it in different terms. They've spoken about it like, like almost like waking up. You know, whether they've been out in nature and seen whole new levels in the sort of natural world around them that, that weren't really perceptible before. They were there, of course. And they've said it would actually prior to this, you know, the sort of the nine to five, you know, office job and the rushing around and the make work and the filling time and the losing track of what's really important. That actually now feels a bit dreamlike. So I think some people have entered into a nightmare at the minute and other people actually feel that they've been woken up from one. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I just wrote an article. I sent it out today, basically where I was contemplating, you know, in the, in my imagination, what if somebody came into my office and had a dream and shared with me their dream? And the dream was exactly what's happening in our world. You know, that there's a global pandemic. The question that I ask is, well, how would we interpret that dream? And, you know, when I point out that there's no like, you know, sort of like one size fits all technique of, of interpreting dreams that somebody might have that dream and it might be really inspiring because everybody's coming together and we're, rec- we're recognizing our interdependence and interconnectedness and, and people are, are awakening and, and people are accessing a deeper level of creativity. And that person's dream of the pandemic would be a reflection of what's going on deep inside of their soul, where somebody else might be having the same dream, and it might be like, oh, my God, these are the end times. This is a nightmare. I'm totally afraid. And that's a reflection of what's going on in that person's soul. And so the the point is, is that there's nothing, anything. This is quantum physics. There's nothing, anything objective. There's something that's happening seemingly outside of ourselves, but we then have an incredible creative power of how do we interpret what's happening? How do we, we're the, the generators of meaning and how do we place meaning on what's happening? And we can do that in either a way that gives us energy and inspires us and helps to wake us up, or we can place meaning on what's happening and interpret it in a way that creates pessimism and despair and hopelessness. And the point is, is that we can't blame out there for that. We're the ones, we're the arbiters of, we're creating our own experience of whatever it is that's happening. There's no one else doing that for us. And that's our responsibility. And that's where it really connects with that we are these incredibly creative beings. That's our superhero power. That's the, that's the real medicine that's being offered to us. And I can say so much more about that if we actually get the message of the dream. One of the interesting things in observing the kind of collective reaction to what's going on at the minute is how many people who are understandably so disturbed, so disorientated by what's going on that they've gone from maybe hating their job, hating their routine, finding life just a grind, things are tough, whatever it happens to be, or even people who perhaps are relatively well off, but they don't feel fulfilled, how the responses to that have uh, varied along the lines of what I was saying a moment ago about, you know, dreaming versus having a nightmare versus waking up from one. You can see in some of the governmental and corporate responses to some of this that there's this kind of 
urge to get back to business as usual, get back to work. You know, I hate my job, but oh my God, I want to get up on Monday morning and make that commute because it's like, as I said, this mirror has been held up and you can, we're not very good at doing nothing. We're not very good at just being. And again, this is another dimension of what you can see with people being locked down in their own homes. We're uncomfortable sometimes with our own inner thoughts, you know, because we're used to constant distractions and what have you. And in fact, just today I read a story, a tragic story about a young man, 20 years old or something, and he had, uh, he's taken his life, uh, in response to what's going on because he was, uh, locked down on his own away from his family. And, uh, he left a note just saying, uh, I'm used to being so busy. I'm always doing things. And when I'm not doing things, I have thoughts. The unconscious, like young, talks about the unconscious will will arrange situations in our lives both in our dreams and in our in in the waking dream um that the unconscious will will arrange situations in our lives to get us out of our comfort zone to push us right to our edge so as to catalyze our growth and and i i just feel from my experience um with my own unconscious that that's totally true and um and the thing is, is that that's a way when, when you see, cause you know, when I had my whole process that I was describing at the beginning of, of spiritual awakening, one way of, of really uh, succinctly describing that was that I was having the recognition that we're having a collectively shared dream. And, um, you know, so that's been this understanding or this perspective that I've just been deepening and deepening as my life unfolds. And, and what you discover is that, oh yeah, we will literally, all of us will, you know, we dream up our unconscious part in our life, whether it's in our intimate relationship or with ourselves or in our work situation or in, in our wider life. And that's a really helpful perspective. It happens to be accurate because then you can view what's happening in the greater body politic of our world, you know, collectively as, oh yeah, this is reflecting something back to us it's reflecting an unconscious part of us and that's like what you were saying before it's like we're looking in this in this mirror and mirror etymologically the word mirror it literally means the holder of the shadow so we are actually seeing our own you know sort of unconscious part and um but here's the rub if we don't recognize that and we think that what we're seeing is actually outside of ourselves and then we react to it as if it's outside of ourselves well then we're unwittingly colluding with the madness that's playing out you know and but yet if we recognize that what's playing out is reflecting back to us something in ourselves and we actually shed light on what is that inside of us then all of a sudden instead of being a contributor to the madness then we're going to be in a way like the anti-psychotic agent for the world and in, with that understanding, we're going to be able to, you know, to like we become contagious in a good way, like, you know, um, and however skillfully or creatively we express what we're realizing, then that can actually awaken other people to that same realization. And that is like a virus, but in a good way um, in that that can help all of us to awaken. Well, I think that's one of the downsides, perhaps, of what I could call therapeutic culture. Um, in the late 20th and early 21st centuries has maybe been, it's where it kind of overlaps a bit with, yes, of course, there's a, there's a looking inside psychoanalysis, but this sort of blame culture of, you know, it's society's fault and it's 
it's white privilege or it's, you know, some sort of, um, structural disadvantages that, that one has in one's life and that if everything was more equal, more egalitarian, you know, basically that people are in many situations encouraged, encouraged to look externally for the source of what they perceive to be their problems. And we're not, I say, not very, not used to, not very good at actually looking inside ourselves. But I think that most people actually intuit. They maybe don't want to face it, but they understand that they, they have a bigger role, I think, how shall I say, in how their own lives and how the world around them is playing out than they'd really, um, acknowledge. And of course, the, the, the superficial view. The, the illusion of separation and there's, uh, of responsibility lying anywhere else, that's encouraged and perpetuated a great deal in the materialist worldview, you know, and in the sort of... Uh, can, I, can I say something about that? Because that's really interesting to me. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, so here here's this, this collective madness. And one way of describing the collective madness, the origin is in the psyche, and we literally entrance ourselves in such a way that we then think that this world is separate from us, is objective, and then being like a dream, it just shares all the evidence to confirm our viewpoint, so it will manifest as if it's objective, and then we become conditioned by that and react to that, and and the more we hold that viewpoint that the world is objective, then the, the more the world just reflects it back, and we've, we've hypnotized ourselves. That's a very simple way of describing the collective madness, but then there's the solution, and, and one of the... Um, one of the amazing things that's offering the solution is quantum physics. And because um, in, in, in essence, I just wrote a book about this. In essence, what quantum physics, um, you know, has discovered is that, oh, yeah, that objective universe that um, classical physicists were studying, trying to understand that it didn't even exist in the way that the classical physicists were imagining it, it did if they thought it was objective and separate. Because quantum physics has discovered that the act of observing the universe actually influences the very universe that we're observing. Um, it's called the, the observer effect. And what that points at, that's like mind blowing. Because when you, when you unpack the implications, it's pointing at that, that our, that, that observation, the act of observation is creative. That we have this enormous creative power. Um, that we're literally creating our experience of ourselves. There's no one else doing that. There's nothing out there that's doing that. We are literally creating our experience of both ourselves and our experience of the world. And quantum physics is like showing us that. And, and one other way of describing the inside of quantum physics is that, oh, it's, it's actually, um, you know, it's the medicine for, you know, this collective madness in the sense that the collective madness, like I was describing, gets hypnotized by its own mind thinking that this world is real well quantum physics then shows oh this is a dream this is a collective dream that's what quantum physics is showing and not only is it showing that it's actually the revelations emerging from quantum physics are an expression of the very dream that it itself is pointing at okay so quantum physics is like this living symbol that we've dreamed into our world and into our minds to help us awaken but it's only one of these treasures there are multiple treasures, all, and even the coronavirus could be seen as a treasure. It's literally helping to wake us up to the dreamlike nature. So many people are saying, my God, it's so surreal. You know, yeah, it's dreamlike. It's getting easier to, to wake up in the dream and to recognize the dream. And then when you recognize the dream, well, who's the dreamer? You're actually co-dreaming with the dream. 
which is to access your creative power. And that's the medicine. That's the solution. That's where our real agency and power, that's where it lies. Yes. And if anyone's listening to this and they're saying, as I'm sure a lot of people will to themselves, okay, but I didn't, I don't want to dream this. I don't want to experience this. This is terrible. This is awful. If I am part of this, then how can that be? And I think acknowledging that, or at least exploring that possibility, just that, oh, actually, you are co-creating this. Okay, so how could that work? And if it is so repellent to you, then why is it occurring like this? You know, what is your role? And if you want things to change, what can you do about that? So I think that's the next uh, step for people. If they feel, yeah, if they feel, if they feel revulsed by the idea that they're creating this, right? No, that's and that's like you know that's the right question because yeah. So say if somebody really gets switched on to this, right? You know, okay, well then what? And I would I would point out, well, you know, because we're only one dreamer and you know of of human beings that we're one of seven and a half other of these billion people who are we're all co-dreaming the dream. So one person having this realization might not you know, actually make a difference in a real overt way. But here's the thing. If one person has that realization, you know, of the dreamlike nature of our responsibility or, you know, owning their shadow or, you know, seeing the coronavirus is reflecting, you know, the mental virus inside of our species or however you would articulate that realization that you see, because all the great teachers that I know say the way to transform what's happening you know, it's not, it's not going to happen through the collective in the sense that, oh, creating new laws or whatever. No, it happens via the individual. So any one of us actually deepening our awakening and evolving and individuating and connecting with our soul, actually that, that quanta of, of, you could say of, of this, that photon of, of light gets deposited into the collective mind field in a non-local way that adds, that lightens up the whole universe. And like one very inspiring image of that, um, say if you take, you know, this glass of water and you dissolve these, these, these granules of sugar in the water, one by one, they'll just dissolve and dissolve up until it reaches the saturation point. And then you add one more grain of sugar and a crystal will manifest. And that's, I think, a really beautiful symbol. It's a symbol of, of how symbols arise in our mind, but how, like, sort of the symbol being, like, you know, that our species, any one of us in this very moment, having awareness or owning our shadow or recognizing the dreamlike nature could be that grain of sugar that crystallizes and precipitates a global awakening, a global awakening non-locally throughout the entire field of the universe. And so that's really inspiring because then, Instead of, you see, the real trap is to get, you know, trapped in pessimism or hopelessness or despair or depression. And then, you know, being, um, a, you know, a dreamer, you're just going to attract evidence confirming that viewpoint in a feedback loop whose origin is your own mind. And then you are part of the problem, not the solution, you know. But when you actually have the realization of, oh, wow, me connecting with myself, with my true nature and expressing that creatively and having my heart open and radiating out that love and compassion, that actually is my very role. That's all of our role. And that is, don't underestimate the power of compassion. You know, it's greater than any any atomic, you know, power. 
And so as more and more of us connect in that way, and not just like in a passive way, but part of it is that, yeah, this is a participatory world. Our inner process is reflecting and playing out via the outer world, which means we just can't sit in our little meditation cave and do nothing. No, we have to be activists in whatever whatever way that looks like, like I'm writing or being interviewed or doing whatever I do. And other people, it's not going to look like me. It's going to look like it's tailor suited. You know, the idea is to follow your calling, that we're all being called to something. And if we don't, like when a shaman, a would-be shaman is getting called and they, they, they reject the calling out of fear or feeling they're not good enough, that's when they fall sick. But the idea is to once you ascend to the calling of what you're here to do, then you get supported by the deeper universe. And that's what we all need to do. And then we can actually connect with other people who are doing that and activate their, there's like this, this genius, this collective genius that's we, when we come together, we can activate it. We can conspire to co-inspire, which is, that's a real conspiracy theory where we can literally dream ourselves awake. We can help each other to, to recognize the dreamlike nature of this universe and help each other to deepen that realization. And that's evolutionary. And that's what this is all about. If we don't realize that and act on it and embody it, then we're going to continue to destroy ourselves as we see all around us. Well, when people uh, I speak with, if they're struggling with the idea that thoughts uh, might have some effect on the reality uh, in someone's own life or in the world around them, I mentioned an example of that. Well, do you know anyone who's ever become ill through stress? And I'd say something like, oh, yeah, you know, a guy I used to work with, uh, you know, he was going through a divorce and he lost his house and he got stomach ulcers, you know, and the doc said it was stress and, you know, and he blah, 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 blah. So you can think yourself ill. And I think uh, as far as the current crisis is concerned, a couple of things. One is think about that then in the context of the converging crises in the world, you know, the problems that we're facing. And also then in the context of our reaction to what's happening right now, are we going to run around like headless chickens, trying to put this thing back in its box, pretend like there isn't really a problem, get back to business as usual. Are we going to be just consumed by fear and uh, blame everyone else, take it out on everyone else, you know, blame their Chinese, blame the Russians, whatever it happens to be. So how are we going to respond to this? And again, put that in the light of what I've just said about the the idea that we all grasp, I think, when we boil it right down, the idea that what you think your emotions, how you feel, what's going on inside your mind can play out through your actions in your life, but also in your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what you're saying is great because it makes me think like just because I feel like I want to just, you know, more articulate and shed light on what I mean about that we have this incredible creative power, that that's in essence the illness, that we, all of us have this, you know, like unimaginable creative power and to the extent that we're unconscious of it, it gets turned against us in a way that's killing us. And that's being that's getting writ large in on the world stage. And here's a way of understanding that. So say if you're in a dream, you're in a dream at night. Right. And what is the dream? But it's just a reflection of your mind. It is your mind. It's your psyche. That's what a dream is. And um, so then if you're holding a viewpoint, the dream has no choice but to reflect back your viewpoint. And, um, and because it, it's doing that then you have the evidence confirming the objective, the objectivity of your viewpoint, 
which makes you more fixed and entrenched in that viewpoint. And the more fixed and entrenched you get in, in your point of view, the more the dream will just offer you evidence confirming the objectivity of that. And what I'm describing, and that happens ad infinitum, so you've literally, by your genius of how you call forth reality, you've, you've cast yourself under a spell and you've hypnotized yourself by your own, by the, the very genius of your own mind. And of course, that's going to, if it's a negative point of view, then your body, which is not separate from the dream, is going to be getting stressed and creating illness. And it's, it's a, a, you know, this infinitely self-generating feedback loop whose source is the psyche. So that's, that's like one way of understanding it. But when you actually see the dreamlike nature and what you're actually thinking is objective and you, you realize, wait a second, this is a dream. All of a sudden, what you discover is you have this incredible creative agency that you didn't know you had before. And, um, so then all of a sudden, you know, you're much more connecting with your intrinsic creative power and what I'm basically, you know, I try to say this in a million different ways that in essence, we're all being called each one of us individually. And it doesn't make a difference what way you express it, whether you paint or draw or write or dance or dream or just do nothing other than just embody that creative energy. And, you know, and the energetic expression of that is, is compassion. And, um, so that, you know, that's what we're being called, um, to do as a species, each and every one of us. And particularly when we connect with, um, and if I could just explain that, like say, you know, going back to the imagination, to a dream, imagine you're in a dream, you have lucidity, you've woken up in the dream, and then imagine other of your dream characters, they're also waking up, and they're just aspects of yourself, which is what you recognize when you wake up in a dream, that we're not separate. And then you all hang out together and contemplate what you're, what you're having insight into, what you're having this realization of, i.e. that this universe you're inhabiting is a function of your dreaming, that it's a collective dream. When you, that is nothing out there, but we moment by moment have been, we're unconsciously dreaming up that, because keep in mind, I'm describing a night dream where dream characters have lucidity. And I'm saying this maps on to our experience in, in the waking dream. Because in that imagination is more dream characters have that lucidity and connect with each other and realize, oh my God, we can put our lucidity together in a way that will literally dream the dream in a way that's much more in alignment with who we're discovering ourselves to be, our true nature, which is not separate from each other. And that's evolutionary. That's what this is all about. The coronavirus is a catalyst to actually activate the evolution of our species and if we, but if we don't get the message, it's going to be killing us. Well, I've met just to talk about uh, the difference between or the commonality, perhaps between uh, you know night dreams and the waking dream. I've met characters, individuals from my waking life in dreams, and of course you might say, "Oh yeah, well everyone dreams about people they know." But I mean, in the sense that I had one exchange many years ago, and someone showed up uh, wherever it was in my dream, whatever the location was. And um I was said, uh, what are you doing here? And this person said, well, I have dreams as well. Almost like, you know, I'm allowed to be in here, wherever we are. And I also heard someone telling a story about they'd had a dream and this white rabbit appeared very forcefully as part of this dream. And the next day, a friend or colleague said to this person, you dreamed about a white rabbit last night. And they were like, whoa, how do you know that? He said, I was the white rabbit. 
And on and on, experiences like that, at the very least, should make us... I don't know, what do you think about this? I, I, I see people dismissing these experiences, experiences that we all have that suggest something about the nature of reality you're talking about, and we just sort of file them yeah. away. I remember being told as a child, um, if I woke up from a nightmare, oh, don't worry, it's not real. And I remember thinking it felt pretty damn real whenever I was sweating and thrashing around in the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I could just say, I mean, you know, like um, Carl, Carl Jung felt that the greatest discovery of the 20th century in the realm of psychology was what he called the reality of the psyche, that the psyche had an ontological reality in and of itself. It was as real as this physical reality. And... Um, so yeah, like I, th- I'm glad you brought that that subject up, Greg, because so many people have you know paranormal, out of the ordinary experiences. I know it's been true for me for years, and that was part of my awakening. And and I understand now, yes, yeah, something was being revealed to me about the nature of reality. And one of the um, you know, I guess what happened as a result of being shown um, this stuff is that all of a sudden the realm of the possible really, really expanded in in my life to the point where, you know, before then, when I was a card-carrying member of Consensus Reality, you know, certain things were possible and a lot was impossible. And then once I began having my awakening, and particularly when I was hanging out right around my teachers, these great, you know, spiritual teachers, um, it was like the third time continuum, space-time continuum, got just torqued in a way that not just synchronistic phenomena, but stuff began happening that was physically, that seemed physically impossible. But this is exactly what quantum physics is pointing at, because quantum physics is saying before quantum entity is observed, it exists in all possible states that it could ever possibly exist in. And even, and then you observe the entity and all of the potentialities disappear except for one, which becomes the actuality. And, uh, but what that means is that even if one of those potentialities is highly, incredibly, ridiculously unlikely, it could still manifest this next moment. And just to connect that to the real world that we're in right now, what that means is that the possibility that humanity could actually awaken, in a sense, to avert the impending catastrophe, that's, that's actually within the realm of the possible. And, and, you know, and it really helps as more and more of us get that, because like I was saying before, if we get hooked into pessimism, um, then we're part of the problem because then we're going to, you know, attract evidence confirming our pessimism in that self-generated feedback loop whose origin is our own mind. So the idea is when you see the incredible open-ended potentiality and possibilities that's being offered to us each and every moment, and it's even more available to us now than it was before the advent of the pandemic. And because there's such an incredible energy just in the field and we're all feeling it, and so that's, in essence, what I'm trying to get across to people. Well, uh, Pete, if anyone uh, goes to explore your work at your website or in your many books and articles, uh, sooner or later they're going to come across this concept uh, with Tico, this idea. So perhaps we should just say a word about that in the context of what we're talking sure, about sure, and, the, well, the, and the challenge and opportunity presented to us there. So that there, is yeah, something, yeah. there is something to overcome, I think. Yeah, sure. So Watiko, that's a Native American indigenous term on um, the Cree Indians. Um, and it really connotes the spirit of evil. 
And it's a mind virus. It's the mind virus that I've been talking about. And or you could say it's a psycho-spiritual disease of the soul. It operates through the projective tendencies of the mind, like I was describing before. It operates through like the, the unconscious part of us that that's that has this blindness. We all have this this blind spot. And what Tico operates through the projective tendencies of our mind, through our blind spot, in such a way that we unwittingly become the instrument to act it out. And at the same time, it hides itself from being seen. So that's why you see people acting out stuff that's contrary to their best interests. That's, you know, a manifestation of the, of the, of this mind virus. Now, keep in mind, it doesn't actually exist in intrinsic independent form. So there's nothing to be afraid of. It actually feeds off of fear. And yet the paradox is, is that even though Watiko doesn't exist, it can kill us. And what that's an expression of is that it's showing us our incredible our unconscious creative power that we just don't even know we have. And so in co- now Watiko is a quantum phenomena. Well, just to, before I go into that, the thing about Watiko that's amazing, it's an inner disease of the soul that somehow is able to like transcend the boundary of inner and outer. And it somehow expresses itself through the medium of the outside world by synchronistically seemingly configuring events in the outer world so as to reflect the inner state of, of a psyche under its thrall. And so that's amazing because the way to actually see Watiko, because it's invisible, is to recognize how it's playing out in the outer world. But then Watiko feeds off of polarization. And so, but if you see somebody who seemingly is taken over by Watiko and acting it out, if you think, oh, they have Watiko and I don't, well, then you're in a polarized point of view and then you've fallen under the thrall of the bug. The point is, Similar to a dream where the inner and the outer are reflections of each other. If you see how the Watiko works out there, whether it be a person who's possessed by it or, you know, a system or, you know, how it's playing out in the body politic around the world. And you recognize that that's a reflection that's reflecting that darker part back to you. That's when you're beginning to really be able to deal with Watiko in a way that's helpful. Now, the thing about Watiko is that it's a quantum phenomena, which means, you know, quantum phenomena, one, what I'm meaning is that in a superposition of states are both uh, that Watiko uh, contains the deepest poison. It's the most pernicious evil. It's archetypal evil that, you know, we're acting out both individually in our own selves, interpersonally with each other and collectively as a species. Watiko is the source of that deepest, darkest archetypal evil, and it's the most incredible medicine. It's an incredible blessing. If Watiko didn't exist, we would have to invent it, okay? Because Watiko is actually catalyzing us to wake up. It's, it's pride, you know, instead of like, oh, um, let's get an antibiotic for this, you know, bug, and it starts to evolve and to transform, and no, we're, it's forcing us to, to mutate. And it's it's literally catalyzing our evolution or it's going to kill us. And so what I'm pointing out is that it's it's a revelation. Watiko is a revelation, just like quantum physics. It's a revelation, just like the coronavirus. It's a revelation. And if we don't recognize what it's revealing to us about who we are, about ourselves, about our incredible creative power, if we don't recognize what's revealing to us about the nature of our situation, i.e. that we're in a collective dream, if we don't recognize that, then guaranteed we're going to continue to destroy ourselves. But if we recognize it, that's when we connect with our creative agency and power 
and can actually, you know, um, intervene in the dream and dream the dream differently. And this isn't New Age woo woo BS. This is what's being offered to us. This is the nature of our situation. And it's absolutely imperative that more and more of us have this recognition and connect with other people who are having the recognition. That's, that's what this is all about. Of course, one of the things to be watchful of at the moment is uh, the role of fear and all this, uh, how that's connected with uh, the idea of the other and of separation. And of course, there's a lot of rhetoric at the minute uh, of coming together. I'm sure at your side of the pond, you've got the same, I don't know if you even watch television, but the same media, shall I say, saturation of messages of togetherness and, uh, you know, we'll get through this as one. But then you see a lot of fearful uh, suspicion out there from, you know, even now from neighbor to neighbor, you know. And so it's a it's a fluid situation, as you say, full of potential. But um, this is a prime old moment. You know, this is not the it's not the time for for chin scratching, really, is it? We're 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 in the game now. We're in the sort of the center of this, whatever it is we're called to do it's do something um because i say i'm i feel even just walking around um which i'm still able to do every day i can sense this this energy and it's not good a lot of it and it's like people are being pushed apart from each other like you know magnets with opposing forces in the little simple act of walking along the the pavement and having other people jumping to get away from you Things could kind of go either way at the moment, and there is a lot of um, there is a lot of fear and suspicion, which is we have to be mindful of because it's very very easy to get sucked into that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the idea. I mean, I go back to quantum physics. Quantum physics is saying, yeah, the future. But you know, before quantum physics, classical physicists thought you could, if you had enough information, you could predict the future. That it was it was like in this deterministic way, and quantum physics, you know, has shown that's not true that each and every moment exists in potential, that this is a probabilistic world we live in. And that um, so that means that the future, in a sense, is really in our hands, that it has this incredible um, potentiality to manifest in the most catastrophic, horrifically nightmarish way. Um, or, you know, the in that same energy that's informing the darkness and the destruction you know, as alchemists, if we can plug into that and channel that energy, you know, with through an open heart and with awareness and being creative, you know, it's it's like that energy is even more available than it was before the pandemic. That's what I'm saying. This is like in 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 Tibetan Buddhism and any alchemical tradition, they say the greater the poison, the greater the medicine. You know, when you plug into that energy and you alchemically transform it and channel it into this realization. And that's what's available to us. And, and, and like I'm saying, yeah, it's great. You know, um, that thing you were saying about, oh, yeah, we're all in this together and all that. And, and I have a quote of Young. I'm working on another article and he says, the way he says that he goes, yes, we're all in the soup, um, together that's being cooked for us, whether we have claimed to invent it or not. Um, we will, you know, uh, continue on the way to this universal, um, I think he says, suicide, unless we go through a symbolic death. And it just so maps on to what we're um, going through now. And the idea is, yeah, what is that symbolic death? 
And I go back to Watiko because Watiko, before I discovered the, the Native American word, I was calling it malignant egophrenia or ME disease. It's an aberration of the human ego in which we identify with this limited version of who we are. And, and that's what, so it's like this, this misidentification of who we think we are. Um, you know, ME disease, me disease is the, is really the acronym. And, um, and the, you know, the, so one way of understanding Watiko and this will connect is that it's like an imposter in the apocryphal text. They talk about Watiko. Every spiritual tradition does in their different way. And the apocryphal text calls it a counterfeiting spirit. It, it will ape us and it's like this mimic. And it will impersonate us, and then it imitates us with this false, limited version of who we are. And then if we don't see that it's doing that, we then identify it puts us on, which has a double meaning of like putting on a suit of clothes and to fool us. And then if we don't see its ploy, we then identify with the, its limited version of who we are. And in doing that, we've both simultaneously given ourselves away and disconnected from our own power. And then we've fallen under the spell, and this no one else is doing that to us. We're doing that to ourselves. And so, you know, the idea being that, yeah, to step, to see through that illusion and to recognize who we actually are, which is that we don't exist separate from each other, that's to begin to connect with, you know, the greater personality um, or the higher self or a lot of different names for it or the God within. And, and that's, um, in a sense... Um, you know, that's to really cure that fear because fear only arises when there's an other. But when you have the recognition that there is no other, that we're all, by being all in this together, we're not separate entities in this together. We're all interdependent and interconnected. And that's the expansion of consciousness, you know, that actually dispels Watiko and is the very solution, is the very medicine. That's that. That's where encoded in the pathogen, in the coronavirus pandemic, encoded hidden within it is the very medicine if we recognize that and not just intellectually but to really step into that and act out of that realization well i just wonder you know with despite all the fear and despair uh worry about the future out there at the moment that uh that there are a lot of people who are, who are understanding maybe for the first time uh even on a superficial physical level how dependent they are on other people uh, whether it is healthcare workers or supermarket uh, employees or the guys who come around and take the trash away, all of that, that maybe they'll, even if there is some sort of relative normality, that they will look at those people and the systems in a slightly different light. Now, whether people can make the leap from there to thinking about how that applies in every system in the world and also not just to their friends and family and the people in their town or city but to those that they've been taught by political demagogues to regard as the other you know the source of their problems whether they can make that leap into thinking globally about about this interdependency and these networks yeah well the idea is is like you know I mean, like a dream, this is a, this is a multidimensional experience we're having. And, you know, it's that idea, like in, in my work, I talk about what I call to be this um, spiritually informed political activist that, you know, we, you know, we have to really, you know, intervene in our waking dream, you know, in, in life, in whatever way we're being called. And, um, 
You know, so I, I just can't encourage people enough to not get caught in pessimism or despair. It's very convincing. It's so seductive. And, and then we have all the, you know, the agreement, you know, that it's easy to find evidence and agreement of people, you know, to confirm our viewpoint that we're really screwed. And, but that, that is, um, this, you know, act of Watiko. That's the fall under its spell. Because then, you know, you, you can't be of help to anyone, let alone yourself. And, um, but I'm saying there's potentially good news. I mean, th- it's, this is the good news of the Bible. I mean, you know, and yet it's all around us. Like Christ says, the kingdom is spread all over earth. And guess what? People don't see it. There's a blindness, you know. And when he, when Christ healed that blind man in the Bible, you know, then he actually said, he said something like, yeah, you know, it's all of humanity who's blind. Well, what he go is, is the blindness. It's a certain type of blindness. It's a blindness of the mind that literally thinks it's sighted and thinks it's more sighted than people who have sight. And there are these different aspects of the blindness of Watiko. On the one hand, it's a blindness where we don't even know we're blind. That's the first type of the blindness. The second blindness is then we don't see, we don't see Watiko. We don't, and we don't even see how we're colluding with it through our blindness. So that's the second part of the blindness. Then we're, we also become blind because we don't see our light. When we're afflicted with Watiko, we don't recognize our, our intrinsic light. And that is our nature. And then the fourth blindness, I call it the four ignoble, ignoble blindnesses, sort of a play on the Buddha's, the four noble truths. These are the four ignoble blindnesses. And the fourth one is we don't recognize that Watiko is a revelation. And by not revel, not recognizing it's a revelation, it then kills us. And so, so it's a, you know, this idea of blindness, and it's not, is so important that it's not just like, oh, to try to convince somebody they're blind. No, that never works. The point is to try to teach people the art of seeing. That's that's our situation. How do we do that? You know, and I have no idea. I mean, I'm trying to do it in my own way. And But the point is we all can once we begin to wake up and open our eyes and see. And so, um, yeah, so that's basically that's basically one way of, of, of viewing our current situation. If there's one thing that's been made plainly obvious in some quite traumatic uh, ways in all of this is that, like it or not, dramatic change can occur overnight. If you look at all the things that have stopped, some good, some not so good, uh, in the wake of this crisis and all, all new things that have started, it means all of the naysayers and people have said, this can't be done, that can't be done. Oh, you know, it's like turning an oil tanker around. You can't turn it on a dime, blah, blah, blah. But radical change can occur very, very suddenly. And going forward, there are positives and negatives in all of that because as much as we can see, you know, those people enjoying cleaner water and uh, lower air pollution levels and perhaps more time in nature, albeit enforced, are also somewhat worried about uh, sort of gathering totalitarianism, you know, in response to this crisis. So again, it's a fluid situation it's it's active and we need to be vigilant at the moment and Can I say something about what you just said of Greg? course yeah, sure. really so the thing about Watiko um young was super switched onto it. he had all these different names but the main name that he called it was totalitarian psychosis and just think about what i was talking about with Watiko it's an inner disease of the soul that sort of like subsumes you know um your consciousness in a way where all of the healthy parts of the psyche 
unwittingly serve its pathological agenda until it colonizes the psyche, sets up a shadow government, a totalitarian regime in your own psyche where it dictates to you. And and remember what I said about Watiko, it's an inner disease of the soul that actually synchronistically gets expressed and reflected back to us through the outside world. We'll take a look at what's happening in the outside world. These fascist totalitarian powers are creeping all over the planet and centralizing power and control. What I'm saying is that that's reflecting the inner Watiko disease. The thing, you know, when you were saying, yeah, things can change on a dime, that's one thing this is showing us, because think about how quickly the world changed. One way of understanding that, just imagine you're, you're, you have, you're typing on a keyboard, and if your fingers are one key to the right, you'll look on that computer screen, and it's an incredible mess, and it seems like, oh my god, how could I ever possibly fix that? And yet the fix is really simple. You just have to move your hands like, you know, a quarter of an inch to the left, and all of a sudden, as if by magic, everything is then in balance. And that's like our situation, that it's so convincing that things like, oh my God, we have like multiple crises converging, how are we ever going to deal with this? And I'm pointing out that the solution is really, really, not that it's simple, even though it is in a way, but it's like there's like one solution that when enough of us get it, it's like the 144,000 in the, in the, in the Bible, they talk about that's the critical mass. That's the hundredth monkey phenomena. That's that grain of sugar dissolved in water. That's what I'm meaning. Um, that we, there's an incredible opportunity and everybody knows. Yeah. Etymologically, the word crisis means, you know, like there's a bad thing, but there's also an opportunity encoded in the crisis. And that is so true for us right now. Well, Paul, uh, before we sign off, I want you to share with listeners details of your website. And I don't know of your many works, whether there's anything, uh, a first point of engagement that you would recommend for listeners if they want to engage with some of these ideas for the first time. Sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, you know, just go to um, awakenindthedream.com. That's my website with all of my articles. They're all for free. Because I want people, I want this information to get out. And then, you know, I have a handful of books that you can get. And there's tons of audio and, and you know, just whatever, just different, you know, type of interviews. Some with, you know, not just audio on, 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 on video and, you know, or talks I've given or whatever. I just so, so if you go to, to awakenindthedream.com, there's just, you know, a ton of my stuff. And, um, you know, that, that night, you know, people criticize me going, oh, I should monetize my site. No, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm just wanting to get this information out. And I've been doing a lot of articles recently on the coronavirus. There's a new coronavirus page where people can just, you know, find that stuff. And, um, yeah, that's really it. Splendid. Well, once again, Paul, thank you so much for joining us again today on LegalizeFreedom.com. For sure. Really, really appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> 